0: you <laughs> Well, the
1: Dow hitting uh, the highest level in 18 months, even as the S&P and NASDAQ finish the day lower. That is the scorecard on Wall Street. The action is just getting started. Welcome to Closing Bell Overtime. I'm Morgan Brennan with John Fort. Get ready for one of the busiest hours of earnings season. We'll get numbers in the next few minutes from AMD, EA, Starbucks, Virgin Galactic, Match Group, Pinterest, and so many more.
2: Also, we're going to look for opportunities in the credit market when we're joined in a rare interview by... Brian Higgins, a founder of credit-focused hedge fund King Street, which manages around 23 billion dollars in assets.
1: As we await those earnings, though, let's bring in Vital Knowledge founder Adam Crisafulli. Adam, great to have you on the S&P. It looks like uh, finishing the day here at 45.79, down about two tenths of one percent. It, it keeps uh, rejecting that 4600 level. Are you surprised?
3: Yeah, I think there's definitely a valuation issue in the market right now, both on an absolute basis, um, you know, just looking at PEs on an absolute basis, but especially relative to yields, on, especially on a day like today where you saw yields really jump. So, you know, in my mind, I think valuation is really the only major obstacle in the near term to this market. Um, but Fundamental will remains quite supportive. And I think today was quite interesting how well stocks absorb the move in rates. And I think part of that comes down to the shape of the curve, so you're seeing a steepening out of the curve, reflective of a lot of the Goldilocks data that stocks have been responding to now for the last several weeks. And so I think obviously higher yields exacerbates the valuation issue with equities, but I think so long as the curve continues to steepen out, so long as you see supportive news flow on the data front, on the earnings front, um, you know, I think the market will stay relatively good. Um, you know, it's a question of how much higher can it get from here? It's like I said, there, there are definitely valuation impediments.
1: Yeah, we had the Fed's Bostick on the tape not that long ago talking about uh, that if the economy evolves as he expects, that this would be a comfortable advocating for—oh, no, that's not the line I'm looking at. I'm looking at uh, data that's consistent with an orderly slowdown, which sort of speaks to this Goldilocks uh, data that we've been getting so far. Look no further than ISM manufacturing this morning, Jolts reading yep. today as well. Um, Any any reason to believe that that could change, especially when you do see things like uh, credit tightening per the the survey we got yesterday?
3: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely obviously still the risk of a slowdown for a variety of different reasons. You can argue that consumers have been sheltered from rate hikes. Um, You know, you're seeing that in housing where a lot of a lot of mortgage rates are far below current market levels. Um, You know, for a variety of reasons, you could say that there definitely are a lot of um, economic risks on the horizon as excess savings get exhausted, et cetera. But your bigger risk is that you see an acceleration in growth. Like you see with Caterpillar today, the biggest cyclical stock on the planet hitting all-time highs up 8% on earnings. Hmm. That suggests that there is an acceleration going on in the underlying economy. And the risk then is that that pushes yields higher and that forces possibly the Fed to even doing more. Um, so I think you're, that's kind of, at this point in time at least, you know, your risk is more, I think, that you don't have the type of Disinflationary outcome that the feds are looking for, um, in, in which case central banks have to kind of reassess their outlook over the coming months.
2: Adam, looking at some of these post-earnings reactions, most recently Uber, you know, did pretty well, though it was a, a top-line miss, um, and it was down significantly. Microsoft did pretty well several days ago. Yeah, it's lower. How, how, is the bar just really high? How much of its valuation, how much of it might be sentiment? Um, as as well in combination with that as we look forward to some more of these earnings coming out today?
3: Yeah, definitely. Especially for tech, you have a very high bar with some of these stocks. Obviously, tech has been leading the market higher for the last several months. So the bar has been higher for these names. Um, You know, I think, too, for a company like an Uber or Microsoft, you bring up two great examples. You know, Microsoft reports a fully gap EPS number where pretty much everything is expensed into it. And then on Uber, we're looking at kind of this adjusted EBITDA, not on a per share basis. So I think investors at these levels with some of these stocks are looking for a little bit more honesty in terms of kind of what's being reported, the quality of the underlying earnings to a certain extent. Um, You know, your your Amazons, your Apples, Microsofts, all those companies report kind of fully gap. Everything is run through the income statement, Um, whereas some of their smaller cap peers in technology, um, you know, get away with the more non-gap. Um, you know, uh, computation of earnings, which is you know obviously not apples to apples. So, All right. you know, I think with tech, part of it is definitely a sentiment issue, and then part of it is kind of I think um, you know just really scrutinizing the quality of some of the actual earnings numbers.
2: Adam, hold tight. Caesars Entertainment earnings are out. The stock is higher. Contessa Brewer has the numbers. Contessa.
0: John Caesar's revenue coming in slightly higher than consensus at two point eight eight billion and earnings per share of four dollars twenty-six cents a share. That is not comparable to the estimate of thirty-three cents because largely it's attributed to a one-time non-cash-gap tax gain during the quarter. Still, the company is pulling in same-store adjusted EBITDA. Remember, that's a key metric of profitability in gaming of slightly more than a billion dollars. And for the first time, Caesars turned a profit in its digital segment. That's online and sports betting and iGaming. $11 million in same-store EBITDA, beating expectations of $2 million. We are seeing some declines in year-on-year com- uh, comparisons in bricks and mortar, but Q2 last year was Caesars' best quarter ever. And we do note that regionals came in better than expected here on the call. We'll get more insight into that consumer behavior. You mentioned the stock up 2.8 percent. And don't miss my exclusive interview with CEO Tom Reeg. That's tonight on Last Call. John.
2: Yeah. Um, as you said, looking forward to that on last call. Now, from casino-style gaming to video gaming, EA earnings are out. Steve Kovac has the numbers. Steve. Hey there, John. Yeah, shares down about half a percent on these results, uh, pretty much in line with expectations. Although EPS coming in at a dollar forty-seven cents, we're not comp- uh, comparing that to estimates. Revenues roughly in line, one point five eight billion dollars versus the $1.59 billion expected. And guidance, pretty good. uh, Basically in line for Q2, uh, up to $1.8 billion. Street was looking for slightly above uh, $1.8 billion as well. And then really crediting a couple game releases uh, throughout this quarter, especially that new Star Wars game that came out for these results and continuing momentum around the FIFA game, which is actually about to get replaced by their own in-house branded EA soccer game later this fall, John. All right, stock down. 3% 3% initially, at least, on those results, though. Starbucks earnings
1: are out. Kate Rogers has the numbers. Hi, Kate.
4: Hey, Morgan and John. Uh, mixed third quarter here for Starbucks. A very slight revenue miss coming in at $9.2 billion for the quarter versus estimates of $9.3 billion. Record revenues, though, uh, up 12% year-on-year. EPS, a beat here, adjusted $1 versus estimates of $0.95 cents for Q3. Comps, up 10% globally that is a miss versus the 11% estimated by analyst up 24% international also a slight miss versus analyst estimates of 24.2% growth uh, up 7% in the United States that is also a miss versus the up 8.4% analysts were expect- expecting rather the company says it's seeing a 6% increase in average ticket in the US 1% increase in average transaction in the US on to China a key market for Starbucks same store sales climbing 4%. year on year in the quarter, driven by a 48% increase in transactions, uh, but a 1% decrease in average ticket. Also, the company adding uh, here 31 million Starbucks rewards members in the quarter. That's up 15% year on year. Again, the total number of rewards members, rather, is 31 million. Uh, Right now, guys, as you can see, the stock is lower, just under 1%. Conference call at 5. We'll bring you any updates as we get them. Back over to you.
1: All right, Kate Rogers, thank you. Let's bring Mike Santoli into the conversation. Mike, want to get your thoughts, whether it's Starbucks, where North America was a key focus. Yes, we have a China recovery or reopening afoot, but analysts weren't putting quite as much stock into that as they were into resilience of the consumer here.
5: For sure, uh, Morgan. I mean, I think it's, first of all, the backdrop is a pretty ungenerous earnings season in terms of stock reactions, even when the companies beat. Uh, and that's why I do think uh, Starbucks, even though the stock hasn't performed well this year, is backing off on the comp miss. Um, so you don't want to see the, the sort of loss in momentum relative to expectations. There, not necessarily a big story changer, but, uh, you know, the stock's at about its average valuation over the long term. Uh, so it doesn't seem as if necessarily you'd built in that cushion for that slight miss. We'll see how it goes uh, from here in the commentary, though. Uh, Electronic Arts, similarly, the, the note, without raising guidance, having, uh, having beat slightly, uh, seems like at least on reflex, it's going to be a, a slight miss. So I think that right now we're in a, uh, in a market where most of the, the stocks have, uh, have run pretty well, and uh, you really want to see a clear trajectory toward earnings growth uh, in, uh, in 2024, into 2024, to uh, start rewarding the stocks better.
2: Let me ask you more about that, because I asked Adam, I mean, but EA is down more than 4%, at yeah. least initially. We don't know how it'll shake out. That seems like a lot for just kind of not hiking uh, guidance, Mike. Uh, so is it more of a valuation issue, or might the, the sentiment in the market be shifting?
5: I think it's all about that. I mean, look, some people say valuation is sentiment, right? It's all kind of like what you're in the mood to pay for every dollar of earnings. So I think all that is in the mix. Um, Now, I still think that if you're not going to be raising guidance, um, uh, you know, after you've beaten in the one quarter, it's an implicit cut. I mean, we don't want to make too much of these small differences relative to consensus at this point. Uh, But I do think, you know, 4% is kind of the cost of doing business when you don't wow the street uh, in the second quarter.
1: All right, Adam, want to get... Are we going to Pinterest? Pinterest earnings are out. Stay with us. Julia Borison has the numbers. Hi, Julia.
6: On the bottom line, the company reporting um, 21 cents in adjusted earnings per share. That's being an estimate of 12 cents. Uh, in adjusted earnings per share. Revenue also coming in better than expected at $708 million versus the $696 million expected. User numbers um, are pretty much in line a hair ahead of expectations at $465 million versus the $463 million. That's the street account estimate. Um, Average revenue per user, two pennies better than anticipated at $1.53. And Q3 revenue uh, is predicted to grow high single digits versus the estimate of up 7.7 percent, so perhaps a hair better than expected. We do see shares down uh, about 3.5 percent on this news. We're going to continue to dig into this and come back to you with more.
1: All right, Julia Borson, thank you. Shares down right now. Don't miss Jim Cramer's exclusive interview with Pinterest CEO. That is coming up at 6 p.m. Eastern on Mad Money.
2: And now Frontier Earnings are out. Phil LeBeau has the numbers. Phil?
7: Hey, John, this is a beat on the top and the bottom line. Frontier earning 31 cents a share, three cents better than the street in the second quarter. Revenue coming in at $967 million. The numbers within the numbers in the second quarter, revenue per available seat mile down 14%, largely because passenger revenue increased 9%, but stage length also increased 8%. That's why you have the result of a drop of 14% in revenue passenger revenue per available seat mile. Cost per available seat mile down 5% with a pre-tax margin in the second quarter of 9.1%. As for the guidance, the company now expects Q3 capacity of 21 to 23%, and they are expecting a pre-tax margin of 4 to 7% in the third quarter. Lots to discuss with Barry Biffle, CEO of Frontier Airlines, tomorrow morning. A Squawk Box exclusive. Don't want to miss what he has to say, especially when it comes to domestic travel, guys, because they note in their earnings release... They are seeing some pressure on domestic demand as more people pivot to international trips. Back to you. Sounds like what you got from Alaska as well, Phil. Thank you. Uh, And with that,
2: let me get back to Adam Crisofoli. Adam, um, Frontier slightly higher after hours. I will note uh, a couple weeks ago this thing was trading about 10-ish percent higher than it is now. So maybe this goes, you know, to the pattern. This one had already come off a bit unlike uh, some of the other names that we've seen take a little off after earnings. As we look forward to AMD, probably the big name uh, of today that is reporting, one that has had a nice run on some pretty high expectations of what it can achieve.
3: No, absolutely. I think, you know, for AMD, a lot of people are looking for an update on their new, um, you know, their new AI chip, which is due out in Q4. Um, We heard from Intel already. It sounds like the consumer, the PC markets, we're stabilizing. The inventory's been, um, you know, I, the the destocking process is finished. The enterprise, the legacy data center spending is still a little sluggish. Um, but I think for AMD, it's all going to be about kind of the update on this new AI chip. Is it launching on time? How much will they have available for it to launch? What's kind of the preliminary demand indications? Um, I think that's going to be the real, uh, you know, the real area of interest for this quarter tonight on the conference call.
1: All right, we got more earnings to bring you. This time, it's Virgin Galactic which uh, has just become a revenue, officially a revenue generating company with its first commercial space flight at the end of last quarter. Uh, Virgin reporting a loss of 46 cents per share adjusted. That was uh, slightly better than estimates of 51 cents uh, loss. Virgin Galactic revenues, though, those missed 1.9 million versus uh, street estimates of two $7 million. That's right, million. Because uh, as I mentioned, they're just starting to ramp up that service. Uh, cash position, this is always a key metric for this company as it is uh, beginning to, to uh, ramp that commercial service. That remains, quote unquote, strong cash. Cash equivalents, marketable securities of $980 million uh, as of the end of June. That was a sequential increase of $106 million from the first quarter. Uh, company says that it is still planning to do its second commercial mission. This will be the first uh, private astronaut mission on August 10th is what they're targeting. The Delta class spaceships, which will be the next generation spaceships and sort of the um, class of spaceships that begins to get this company to a more regular cadence of space flights and thus towards free cash flow uh, and ultimately profitability that those are still on track to enter commercial service in 2026. Shares are down fractionally right now. John, this is not a name that really trades on the top and bottom line so much. <laughs> it's really more on the guidance even now, even still.
2: I mean, really, the guidance, though, I mean, this was once a 30 plus dollar stock. Now it's for like you have to really just believe like beyond what's going to happen in a few quarters. Yeah, that the there is there. Yeah. Especially given what's happening in space overall.
1: Exactly. Speaking of, they did give guidance. Sees Q3, Q4 revenues of a million dollars each. Q3 estimates of 3.7 million. Q4 estimates of 5 million. So much lower than the street had expected. And as I mentioned, we're talking about millions right now. Right.
2: So you're you're believing in more than those millions. Um, m- makes sense. Uh, Adam Christofoli. Um, Virgin's a little bit of an outlier, but it, it does perhaps speak to the time that we're in, where the stocks that people had a certain kind of hope in, they're looking at differently now. Uh, I will mention AMD uh, earnings are out. We are going through them now as well, Adam.
3: Yeah, I think for um, you know for the you know lottery ticket type stocks like a, like a Virgin, um, you know it's a very binary outcome. Like you said, you're looking you know you have to look years and years in the future. Um, very unclear at this point in time whether this is a viable, sustainable business. Um, you know, I think more interesting Adam, is kind
2: of got to interrupt you there and get to Christina Partsenevelis, who has the numbers for AMD. Christina,
0: We're seeing fifty-eight cents uh, adjusted EPS, which is a slight beat on five point four billion for revenues in Q2, also a slight beat, but the concern right now is Q3 revenue guidance, $5.7 billion, that is a little bit lighter than what the street was anticipating. Uh, in the report right now our AI engagements, this is a quote, increased by more than seven times in the quarter as multiple customers initiated or expanded programs supporting future deployments. Uh, and then they say that they're pleased with the second quarter execution, so a beat on the top and bottom line, but Q3 revenue guidance comes in a little Light, and gross margins for the quarter was 50%, which fell in line. John? And
2: Christina, yeah, I'll also note uh, it looks like data center uh, revenue came in at uh, $1.321 billion. That's pretty much in line, maybe a little light of what was expected. Client, though, that's uh, consumer and business PCs, the PC business, uh, came in a lot stronger. So in, in that way, similar to Intel, uh, Intel Actually did a little better than expected on data center, but uh, but was very strong on client. AMD, very strong on client as well, Morgan.
1: You think that's why the stock's up almost four, uh, 5% right now with the initial reaction?
2: Um, you know, I, I think people might have feared a bigger data center uh, miss mm. from AMD, given that Intel was talking about gaining some share. Um, so there might have been some fears there. We'll, we'll see where the stock shakes out. But this overall, you know, shows that AMD is still – chugging along, doing its thing, right, Uh, and running ahead of some of the competition here.
1: All right. Uh, I thought that stat was interesting as well, about a seven times increase in engagement around AI for the quarter, too. Uh, Let's bring in, for some instant reaction,
2: Matt Bryson, Wedbush analyst, covering AMD. Um, Matt, so data center, uh, perhaps not too much of a problem. I don't know if that number being a little bit light of consensus, if you're you know taking little issue matters embedded also pretty much in line, gaming in line, but that client number strong, similar to what we saw from Intel, but AMD of course has been getting share.
8: Yeah no, I think that's exactly right, right We got what we saw from Intel. Um, actually their enterprise number was slightly ahead of my expectation. But I really think it, it's gonna depend on what they give us uh, during the call, even more than guidance, the commentary they give us around what they expect from data center, both in the second half and then 2024 is is I think really what's gonna dictate what the stock does from here.
2: What about this accelerator effect that we heard about from Intel where the hyperscalers are spending more on AI and for them that's meant more on Nvidia versus Intel. I guess in a way you're seeing Maybe some of that reflected in AMD's data center numbers, but how much does the commentary matter around that?
8: Oh, I, I think it matters a ton. So I, I think it both matters um, in that AMD has set up a, a relatively aggressive trajectory for data center in the back half with the numbers they they gave us. It looks like if they're going to keep that guidance, um, you're going to have to see a sharper lift in Q4 uh, for that data center group. A, at the same time, It's going to matter what they have to say around AI for 2024. I think one of the things that really worked out well for Intel was talking about having a billion dollars plus in backlog that would hypothetically ship in 2024. If AMD gives us similar better commentary, I think that's going to matter for the stock.
1: All right. So if you get commentary like that, I, I realize you already have an overweight on the stock, a hundred and forty-five dollar price target, which represents some significant upside from here. Um, the promise of AI. At what point do you need to see it actually realized for an AMD? I,
8: I mean, for AMD, they have to deliver within the next few quarters, in, in the sense that they really have to begin shipping MI three hundred. It has to begin turning I- into revenue. Uh, but at the same time, they've already carved out a space, particularly in supercomputing, where um, other than NVIDIA, they are uh, the, the the AI uh, silicon of choice. Um, so I, I think right now uh, they are in second place. And if they can maintain that position, you know, hypothetically, they can tell us that they're looking to ship more than a billion dollars next year.
1: So what are you going to ask Lisa Sue on the call?
8: Um, where, 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 where is, where is MI300 um, and what does revenue look like next year? And on that data center side of things, on the, on the CPU side where it seems like you have an advantage against Intel, um, when do we get to see that uh, advantage manifest in the next uh, wave of revenue growth?
2: All right, Matt Bryson, thank you. Thanks as well to Adam Crisofulli. And of course, Mike Santoli, we will see you in just a bit. Uh, Got to mention, don't miss an exclusive interview with AMD CEO Lisa Sue. That's tomorrow, 9 a.m., Squawk on the Street. And I'll mention Frex, Freshworks earnings are up. That stock popping higher.
1: All right. Well, still ahead, a top analyst weighs in on earnings results from Starbucks and what he wants to hear from management on the call at the top of the hour.
2: Up next, we will talk with hedge fund founder Brian Higgins from King Street Capital Management about the most intriguing opportunities right now in the credit market.
9: yahoo finance.com the number one financial destination yahoo finance.com that's yahoo finance.com
1: welcome back to overtime we're not done with earnings match group those results are out. Julia Borston has the numbers. Hi, Julia.
6: Match beating on the top and bottom line, reporting uh, earnings of forty-eight cents per share versus forty-five cents estimated. Revenues also coming in stronger than expected at eight hundred and thirty million versus the eight hundred and eleven million that analysts had anticipated. You see, shares are now up twelve and a half percent. I also want to point out that the company's third-quarter outlook. revenue is stronger than anticipated. The company providing a range of guidance between 875 and 885 million versus an estimate of 864 million. So um, above that range. And we see that's certainly boosting shares right now. Back to you.
2: All right. People getting out. Meeting folks, having a good time. And uh, now we got a pair of earnings from the energy sector. Pippa Stevens has the details. Pippa.
10: Hey, John. Well, starting here with Devin reporting 118 on, a, on an adjusted basis for EPS. That was in line with analyst estimates. While revenues were $3.45 billion, that was a miss and down 38% year over year. The company did say that it reached 323 uh, hundred thousand barrels per day uh, during the second quarter, which was a record high. And they also announced a $200 million buyback during the period. Moving over to Pioneer it was a beat on the top and bottom line. EPS coming in at 449 on an adjusted basis ahead of the 418 expected. Revenues at $4.6 billion, also a beat there. And Pioneer said that it bought back $124 million worth of stock during the second quarter. Back over to you.
1: All right. Peppa Stevens, thank you. Let's turn now to credit. Atlanta Fed President Raphael Bostic saying last hour that his baseline outlook is for no rate cuts until the second half of 2024 at the earliest. Our next guest says higher rates for longer opens up opportunities in the credit market. Joining us now is Brian Higgins. He is the founder and managing partner of King Street Capital Management, a global alternative asset manager with about $23 billion under management. First time on TV, too, if I'm uh, correct. So welcome.
11: Well, Thanks for having me.
1: Uh, so. So I do want to get your thoughts on that before we get into the actual opportunities around credit. The fact that you do have the soft landing narrative that has not only seized the market, but is is making its way out uh, in the Fed speak we've been getting in recent weeks, too. Do you see it the same way or is this the calm before the storm?
11: Well, we're credit investors, as you noted. And as such, we look at the world as half empty versus uh, half full. And so while we're constructive in certain areas of credit, it's really about dispersion. And so if you think about monetary policy, the transmission system occurs through refinancing. And if you look at the loan market, that's been able to happen more quickly because they're floating rate instruments and they're shorter duration. However, if you look at investment grade, much longer duration, high yield, uh, longer than loans, but shorter than IG. And so there'll be time as these refinance and those rates will go higher and then you'll start to see the pinch in the credit markets. I think some of the lenders, as you noted earlier, are pulling back and higher credit standards. Uh, on top of that, Basel III regulations, the Fed's coming out with uh, new guidance and rules there. And so the capital for the banks and the regulatory environment would mean there's tighter credit standards. And so uh, banks in general, it's it's a challenge for them because their cost of capital, they need sort of 10, 12%. And so, on that, uh, that creates great opportunities. We're we're a long short credit investor, and so dispersion is good for us, and we're excited by that.
1: Okay, I mean, we can talk about the wall of maturities. We can talk about uh, leveraged loans, uh, which are starting to get a little more attention as well. Are there are there areas in this market that are concerning you, uh, as well as providing opportunity right now? I, I guess when you talk about dispersion, how are you thinking about that?
11: Well if you look at the overall indexes, the high yield index, you look at the investment grade index, most of the returns come from the base rate, not the spreads. And so as you roll forward and think about if we do have some sort of slowdown or uh, you know rates go down, you're locked into these rates uh, either way, whether through a credit or rate perspective, uh, it's going to be a challenge. And this comes on the heels of, of two years where the investment grade indexes uh, had down years, which hadn't been happened in, in generations. And so one is to be mindful that, uh, you know, you're, you're making these longer term bets in, in fixed income securities. You need to be compensated for it. And so we try to price illiquidity and mm. we look at what the credit markets are doing, what the underlying companies are doing and while there's a you know, strong top line. Uh, I think it's important to note within these high yield and investment grade markets and loan markets, there are uh, difficulties. And that's the beginning. We call the worst go first.
2: Okay. So, so if I'm a company right now looking to issue debt, I think part of what you're saying is uh, I've got to pay better, <laughs> right, than investment grade, than, you know, government bonds. And so it, it's going to be expensive for me. So if I'm playing at home, can I buy riskier corporate debt right now, or is that dangerous? Do you, do you want to wait until you see how both the Fed and, you know, the consumer – Uh, for the rest of this year
11: pans out? Well, as you said, there's a lot of debate on the economy and the base rate being quite high. If you look at short duration, we're looking at short duration, higher quality, liquid situations, which produce, you know, high single digit yields. And so if you're at home and you say, I want to play the uh, risk-free rate four or 5%, when you're used to getting zero for quite some time, uh, that's quite attractive. And I said earlier, the spreads as it relates to high yield and investment grade, you're not getting as much as historical. Mm-hmm. And so if you look at the lending, if the banks are right and they're saying, OK, things are going to get more difficult, generally speaking, the economic expectations are lower. The spread should be higher. And okay. that's sort of the forward curve. So uh, default rates have been quite low. But if you look at the low market, think about the low market. We went from 3 to 6% in defaults. Right. Recovery rate, only 20 cents in the dollar. Traditionally, that's 70 cents in the dollar. So that would be so
2: concerning this is to me. The worst going first. Correct. So uh, if the economy does sour, though, even if we get um, the Fed stops raising or even cuts a bit, if the economy goes south, riskier companies are probably going to be at greater risk. So they might still have to pay more, right, uh, for
11: capital. Correct. And think about the government, right? We're running at trillion and a half. If you exclude the student debt, a trillion eight, uh, that's, that's going to be larger. And, and so there's a competition for capital. The government needs funding, the economy and, and certain companies need funding. And so there's a competition for, for uh, funding that uh, will force or keeps rates uh, at a higher level.
1: So, so what does this mean for you? Because you have the hedge fund. Um, credit-focused hedge fund, hedge fund, but you've also expanded beyond that. You've got collateralized collateralized loan obligations. You've got real estates. You've got growth lending you've been doing as well. How much, I guess, how much does that provide a, an additional opportunity right now? How are you balancing that against what, what you've been doing for three decades?
11: Well, we've always done all of these activities within uh, our, our business. And so uh, it's, it's just, and always looking at a, As things come in, we're agnostic, right? We're up and down the capital structure. We're Mm -hmm. a global firm. Uh, We really try to figure out what is the best risk-reward. As I said, being a long short credit uh, business, we're able to price illiquidity. So to the extent we want to extend credit and be out on the longer duration, we need to get compensated for that, given the uncertainty, whether it be rates or the economy. CoStar CEO was just here giving us some data on not just
2: vacancies in office, but space that might be sort of getting paid for, but nobody's occupying it, and how dangerous that is. Are you sort of eyeing, circling the office market looking for bargains to happen? How are you treating it?
11: Well, the office market, as everyone understands, whether it's a big city or it's uh, you know, suburban, uh, it is certainly uh, very difficult. I think the, the cities are going to be concerned because they're looking at the tax revenue and there's a lot of zoning regulations if there are alternative uses that you were to look to deploy in those in those sectors. We're looking more on the financing side of it versus the equity side. So we're staying senior in the capital structure. Uh, there, there is definitely a difficulty in pricing because you have 60% less transactions. So the transaction volume is followed. So there's a you know, price discovery that needs to go on. Again, monetary policy happens through tr- transmission of refinancing and repayment and valuations at the moment in certain sectors, illiquid sectors, are still finger in the air. And so we know there's secular challenges, potentially secular challenges. It's an office market is, is, is certainly difficult to predict. And so one would, ex- I would exercise caution uh, in that sector.
1: All right, Brian Higgins, it's so great to have you on. Uh, we appreciate your insights today, uh, and we hope you'll come back and join us again.
11: I oh, really appreciate talking to you. Enjoyed it. Thank you. Good to have you.
1: We've got more earnings. Elf Beauty, those uh, results are out. and Courtney Reagan has the numbers. Hi, Court.
12: Hi, Morgan. Yeah, earnings and revenue beating pretty strongly here for Elf, uh, Elf Beauty. Reporting a dollar ten adjusted, that compares to analyst estimates of fifty six cents, with revenues coming in at two hundred sixteen million compared to one hundred eighty four million. A pretty strong quote in here from the CEO talking about sales growth and market share gains. The eighteenth consecutive quarter delivering both net sales growth and market share g- gains in one of only five publicly traded consumer companies out of two hundred seventy four that have grown for eighteen straight quarters and averaged at least twenty percent sales growth per quarter over that period. I spoke briefly with the CEO. CEO who is also raising the full year guidance for both earnings and revenue and said would have raised earnings even higher. However, they intend to increase their marketing spend as a percent of sales going throughout the remainder of the year compared to this quarter. And also called out how strong their beauty business is at target, saying the targets that now have the Ulta Beauty stations, even though they're not in that section of the beauty department, are even stronger uh, than the target stores without that section. They believe they have the opportunity to double the market share, according to the CEO, Tarang Amin, if other retailers follow this target playbook with Elf Beauty. Morgan, shares are screaming higher, higher by almost 15%. Back over to you and John.
2: All right, Courtney. Thanks. We got the mirror image of that pop higher. Solar Edge earnings are out. It's plummeting. So Pippa Stevens has the numbers.
10: That's right, John. The stock is now down 11%. This really comes down to the weak third-quarter guidance. But let's start here with the Q2 results. It was mixed. Solar Edge earned 2.62 on an adjusted basis, which was 10 cents ahead of the 2.52 estimate. Revenue, though, slight miss here, earning $991 million against an estimate of $992 million. But once again, it is that weak guidance. So for the third quarter, SolarEdge predicts revenues will be between 880 and $920 million. That is short of the $1.05 billion that analysts were expecting. The company said that the U.S. residential solar market is seeing some headwinds primarily related to higher interest rates. So that does mirror what we heard from uh, competitor Enphase last week. Back over to you.
2: John. Yeah, we were just talking about interest rates and how they apply across so many different areas. Pippa, thanks. Up next, Mike Santoli taking a look at what we learned from today's JOLTS job openings data in front of Friday's jobs report, uh, plus a lot more on today's after hours movers. You can see AMD there, the sole name we're showing that's higher when Overtime comes right back. Welcome back to Overtime. Some data coming in today pointing to a stabilizing labor market. The Jolts report showing a decline in job vacancies and layoffs in June. Job openings hitting their lowest level since April 2021. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli is back with his take on those results. Mike?
5: Yeah, John, kind of an orderly cooling off of the labor market, which is certainly what the Federal Reserve would like to see. You don't want to see unemployment shoot up, but you want to see less tightness uh, there. And that's what we got. Here's the quits rate, uh, which is sort of below the surface part of the JOLTS report, uh, which shows, obviously, of total employment, how many job separations were there at the choice of the workers. So the quits rate now has uh, been on the decline, as you see. And what's marked here, the Indeed uh, folks uh, have marked the 2019 average That's basically pre-COVID norms, and we're slouching right toward that levels. If you see right here, that's when, you know, Jay Powell, the Fed, was very concerned uh, that labor uh, workers had too much power. They were just jumping from job to job, pushing wage growth higher. That's a good thing for the overall economy, but tough if you want to get inflation under control. So the hope here is that we can maybe settle around these levels. The three-month average is kind of moderating as well. And that would be in support of that soft landing uh, type outcome for the economy that everyone seems to be pretty well on board with at this point.
1: I love that you highlight the quits rate specifically, since we know job openings can be... Uh, sometimes not always aligned with what's actually happening in the marketplace.
5: Right. Job openings, there's a line of thought that says it's really cheap for companies to just keep posted job openings out there. Uh, there's really no downside to it. You can send them message that you're still a growing enterprise, and yet maybe you're not working that hard to fill those jobs. This is people uh, who are actually leaving a position, uh, or you know, you could have two jobs and leave one, uh, that kind of thing. So yeah, this is real uh, action on the part of, uh, of uh, workers. All right little bell aftershock there, Mike Santoli. (laughs) Thanks, Jim Kramer, for that one.
2: (laughs) Shares of consumer software maker, uh, sorry, customer service software maker, Freshworks popping up about 7% after beating Wall Street's profit and revenue estimates. The company also seeing stronger than expected full year guidance. Up next, the company's CEO is going to break down the quarter with us before he hops on the call with analysts. That's G. Matthew Brutham. We'll see him when overtime returns. Uh, welcome back to Overtime. Look at shares of Freshworks up there 15%. Cloud-based customer service software uh, provider topping Wall Street estimates for earnings and revenue. Q2 revenue of 145.1 million. That's up 20% in constant currency. Non-GAAP EPS 7 cents. Free cash flow 18.1 million. And the company also guiding to Q3 revenue of 149 to 151.5 million. That's 150.25 at the midpoint in line with consensus, but taking the full year guide higher to a midpoint of 591 million. That's versus just over 586 expected. Joining us now, Freshworks founder and CEO Girish Mathrabutham. G, good to see you. Um, and uh, the stock quite a bit higher. Now, your back office software handles things like marketing, customer service, CRM, automation. What drove the beat in this particular quarter, and how are you doing on those customers spending more than 50000 on your platform, the, the kind of bigger ticket customers?
13: Thanks for having me, John. And um, yeah, we, I feel really uh, good about how our team executed in Q2. So we outperformed all of our key financial metrics, whether it's revenue, operating profit, or free cash flow. So... Broadly, I think uh, our field business uh, really uh, grew, especially in the ITSM uh, business, we continue to see strength where customers are choosing uh, Freshworks, our value proposition of great products, uh, great UI and and great prices is actually resonating more and more with uh, larger enterprise customers. So that is what drove uh, a lot of the growth. And it's heartening to see uh, that while the macro economy, I think is still stabilizing, But our net dollar expansion uh, came ahead of our expectations. So Mm. we're overall happy with the way things uh, are going. Now, when I talked to you last
2: quarter, you told me that it was B2C, business to consumer companies that were driving a lot of the activity. And uh, we, we can see the consumer is still spending, which I imagine helps, but also that there's this pressure to save money, to be really efficient with software that works. And you felt that that was helping you gain share. What's the update on how that Uh, panned out for this quarter and how that plays into your expectations?
13: I think uh, one of the uh, big changes in this quarter is the excitement uh, we are all seeing around AI. And uh, uh, we, in June, we had our AI uh, launch event around uh, Freddie, where we actually lined up three key pillars of our AI strategy, which is around Freddie uh, self-service for customer and employee self-service, Freddie co-pilot to help our agents uh, use AI to their benefit, and then Freddie Insights for leaders. I think uh, there's a lot of excitement. We are seeing both interest from both B2B and B2C companies, uh, like Smartsheet as uh, a B2B uh, B company, which is uh, an early adopter of our AI for uh, their employee self-service. Uh, we are seeing a lot of B2C companies uh, uh, use that. So I think we are broadly positive about the excitement that's being generated with the early adopters okay. around AI.
2: You've got some competition with ServiceNow in in how you do uh, back office stuff. They also had a pretty strong quarter. I spoke to Bill McDermott um, uh, the day of that report. How are you uh, competing and what is the basis of your wins when you're going up against other players in this space?
13: So so we are one of the most credible alternatives for ServiceNow. now uh, into the market. And I think their focus is more on the Fortune 500. And uh, our focus at Freshworks has always been about building software and AI for the Fortune 5 million, not just the Fortune 500. And, and with uh, specific to our ITSM product fresh service, we actually see a lot of adoption in the mid-market and lower end of enterprise. Uh, we continue to win. Uh, we are the modern cloud-native provider built as a single stack across ITSM IT operations management, and everything that you need for a modern employee self-service. So I think uh, customers are really liking that fact.
2: Uh, Quickly, near-term or longer-term AI impact on top-line revenue?
13: So we believe that uh, we are going to be a beneficiary of AI, uh, specifically around uh, all the three areas that I mentioned, as businesses adopt more and more uh, automation. Mm. Uh, our Freddy self-service. Uh, we are going to monetize from August third. There is a new product launch uh, happening. Okay. So we are announcing um, monetization for that. We expect that uh, revenue to grow. Our okay. uh, Freddie Copilot. We will. It's an early adopter. Uh, it's going to be priced at twenty nine dollars per agent, and we are planning to monetize it uh, on a later date. Okay. And, and then we'll follow it up with Freddie Insights. Yeah.
2: Got to leave it there for now. But uh, hey, the stock higher by more than 20% right now after hours. G. Matthew Rutham,
14: CEO of Freshworks. Thank you.
1: We have breaking news on former President Donald Trump. Let's get to Eamon Jabbers in Washington with more. Hi, Eamon.
14: Hey there, Morgan. The former President Donald Trump just posting on social media just a few moments ago that he expects to be indicted in about 10 minutes' time by the special counsel, Jack Smith, the former president, calling this prosecutorial misconduct in a social media post that appears to be designed to sort of pre-but any indictment that may or may not be coming. The former president says, I hear that deranged Jack Smith, in order to interfere with the presidential election of 2024, will be putting out yet another fake indictment of your favorite president, me, at 5 p.m. Why didn't they do this 2.5 years ago? Why did they wait so long? Because they wanted to put it right in the middle of my campaign. That coming just a few moments ago from the former president of the United States. We don't have information right now, Morgan, to confirm whether or not uh, such an indictment is indeed in the offing. There's been an enormous amount of speculation here in Washington over the past several hours uh, that something might be coming. But other than the rumor mill, we can't say for sure uh, that Jack Smith intends to do the thing that the former president says now he intends to do. So we'll wait and see. But you now have the pre-bottle anyway from the former president of the United States, Donald Trump. Morgan.
1: All right. Eamon Jabbers. thank you. You bet. Well, it's been a wild hour of earnings, and it's rolling on. Up next, some of the key after-hours movers that need to be on your radar. Stay with us. Welcome back to Overtime. Here's a check of some of today's key after-hours movers. AMD beating on the top and bottom lines. That stock is higher by about 4% right now. EA and AIG are both lower Following their results, EA is down about 3.5%. Take a look at MicroStrategy as well, reporting earnings per share of 152 on revenue of $120 million. Those shares are down about 1% right now. But CEO Michael Chairman and co-founder Michael Saylor will be joining me tomorrow uh, at 10 a.m. on Squawk on the Street when I fill in on that hour. John.
2: Be sure to ask him about Bitcoin. Okay, a wave of earnings calls about to begin. Up next, a top analyst tells us what he wants to hear from Starbucks when we come right back.
1: Welcome back. Starbucks stock stock is falling slightly after reporting results earlier this hour. The earnings call kicks off in just a few minutes. Joining us now, Stevens analyst Joshua Long. Josh, what are you looking for on the call, especially as we did see this Reigniting uh, of China's same store sales, but North America missing the mark.
15: No, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. What we're looking for is a conversation around this all-around brand momentum. So, although the top line did disappoint slightly, you have to think about it in the context of the overall results. And when you look down the middle of the P and L and the margins, those were much better than expected. So, I think that sets the stage for some strong momentum into year end, and then possibly a better story here into fiscal '24.
1: Okay. Um, in terms of pricing power for Starbucks, how much does that matter here, uh, especially if you do see, start to see some commodity costs come off?
15: Now, that's a great question. I think at the end of the day, the way that we're thinking about it is Starbucks is the epitome of an all-around kind of affordable luxury for consumers. So although prices have gone up over the last couple months, we I mean, thinking about that core Starbucks coffee experience, here, at least here in the U.S., and the strong uh, you know, transaction trends that we've seen, think that that uh, overall occasion is really, uh, really insulated. And I think as long as you continue to see brand innovation, product innovation, mm-hmm. and then leaning into that really strong loyalty program, I think that's where uh, you know we can really see some upside going forward.
1: OK, Josh Long, thanks for joining us ahead of the call, which kicks off in oh, about 15 seconds.
15: <laughs> yeah, I'm looking
2: forward to Qualcomm and Etsy tomorrow. Qualcomm after what we've seen for the chips and then Etsy, you never know.
1: Yeah. DoorDash will be one to watch, too, after Uber today. That's going to do it for us here at Overtime.
2: Fast Money starts now.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you
2: picture proof of delivery,